and Oceanside Sanctuary. Welcome to our Sunday gathering on Facebook and YouTube. We're excited to be with you again today. On this Sunday, we are going to wrap up our Why Church series. For the past several weeks, as you know, we have been going through a set of teachings asking this bigger question, Why Church? Why is it that in a time when the fastest growing segment in the U.S. population are those who don't identify with any religious tradition, uh, when, when we are faced with a circumstance where the church is often seen as a source not of good things, but of bad things for our society, why is it that anybody would still choose to be a part of a church of any kind? And of course, we're asking these questions. Uh, for those of you who are new, we're asking these questions at this time in our church's life because we're currently going through a process of renewing our vision, our mission, our values and our priorities as a church. And so we thought it was important to ask these bigger questions. Why do we exist and why would anybody choose to be a part of our church here at the Oceanside Sanctuary? I wanna start as usual by just asking you to pray with me. And then today we're gonna do a little bit of a recap of some of the things that we've discussed. And then I wanna share with you an image of the church that I think is especially helpful as we navigate our path forward. So would you just join me first with a word of prayer today? God, we thank you again for this opportunity for us to come together and gather online across YouTube and Facebook to connect with each other, to have fellowship even in the midst of a pandemic where we are socially distanced from each other. I pray that as we wrestle with these big questions that as a church we would learn to connect uh, in ways that are meaningful, and that we would learn as a community here in North San Diego County how it is that we can be good news for our neighbors, wherever we might live, wherever we might work, wherever we might go to school, and however we might gather, we ask that you would make us into a people who are distinctively good news for those who come into contact with us. We pray all that as we open these words of scripture in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, so like I said, I do want to recap what we've talked about for just the past few weeks. We've been going through this uh, series called Why Church, and I've also been uh, midweek offering some discussions, some panel discussions that I've been conducting with leaders across the country. I hope that you've been tuning into those, and I hope that you have been getting something out of those discussions. Sometimes they get really sort of nerdy and philosophical and theological, and other times they're very pra practical and pragmatic. Uh, but I know that they've been helpful for me to hear from other leaders' perspectives what it means to think about church as we move into the future. And there are a couple of conclusions that I've come to in this series that I have offered to you for your consideration as the reasons why people in the future might choose to be a part of a church, or at the very least might choose to be a part of the Oceanside Sanctuary. And I wanna run through those five with you just real quick before we take a look at an image of the church from scripture that I think will be helpful to us. Uh, first of all, I said that uh, the first thing that might cause people to choose church, uh, the answer to the question, why church, 
is because the good news of Christ brings liberation to the oppressed. And you might remember that at the beginning of this series, I said that the good news of Christ is liberation. It's freedom from all of those things that enslave and oppress people. And that to the extent that we as a church are able to bring a message of liberation to those, especially those who are oppressed and marginalized in our society, that we will seem like a good choice for them as they're looking to build better lives. Number two, I said, why church? Because drawing on memories of liberation make liberation possible. You might remember uh, earlier on in the series, I said one of the things about church that sometimes feels like a weakness is that we can lean too heavily on tradition. But I said that when tradition is practiced rightly, that it's not used to keep things from changing, but traditions instead are meant to be our way of collectively remembering stories of liberation from the past so that we can be liberated here in the present. We talked a little bit about how memory works that way, that when we can access those points of liberation through those ancient stories, uh, and sometimes through those current stories, that that unlocks our ability to be courageous and to step into liberation today. The third answer that I gave you to the question, why church, is because practices of liberation make whole that which has been shattered. So we talked Pretty recently, just a couple weeks ago, about how this notion that the gospel, when we bring that good news of liberation to people, and when we become a community that remembers those stories of liberation, that those practices of liberation in our community begin to put back together those fragmented and shattered pieces of our lives. In fact, that's what it means for us to be spiritual human beings. It means that our spirits serve as a resource for us to unite and unify and integrate all those aspects of ourselves that have been put in opposition to each other, that have been fragmented, that have caused us to be unhealthy. And then you might remember that just two weeks ago, I said that the fourth answer to that question, why church, was because the goal of our entire existence, the way the Apostle Paul puts it is, the goal of our instruction is love. That the goal of what we do in any good and healthy church is not that we would become more powerful. It's not that we would become bigger. It's not that we would sort of conquer the culture around us, but rather our goal is something very different and more Christ-like. The goal of our existence is love. And that that is not just love for each other, but last week, number five, the fifth answer to the question why church is that that love would exist not for our own sake, but for the sake of our communities. And I said, people would choose church because the politics of love heals the brokenness in our world. So as the gospel comes and brings liberation in our lives, and as our spiritual practices orient us around the person of Christ, and our own lives become more whole and integrated, then also we offer that integrated wholeness, that good spirituality to the city around us, to the community around us, and then that becomes a kind of alternative politics of love that the church wouldn't exist in its communities for the sake of winning those communities or being superior in those communities, but that the church would exist to bring love to those communities so that genuine wholeness can be brought to every person 
around us. Those are the five reasons that I said people might choose church. Liberation, memory, wholeness, love, and healing. And that if we are that kind of church, then people will choose to be a part of us because something genuinely good is happening. I want to turn with you just to, I think, a really beautiful image of this that really helps us, I think, grasp what the character of this kind of church might look like. And it's from the book of Revelation. It's the last book in the Bible. Uh, Revelation chapter 2. It's actually the last chapter in the last book of the Bible. And I know that the book of Revelation in a lot of churches has been used to cast these sort of frightening scenarios, these apocalyptic images of what might happen in those end times that sometimes uh, people use to sort of scare or frighten people into believing in Christ. But I don't think that's what the book of Revelation is at all. I think what we have here is the Apostle John giving us this really powerful and potent image of the alternative power that the church represents in an otherwise chaotic and disruptive world. And so I want to set up my little reading here of Revelations chapter 2 that way. I just want you to know that I don't think that what we have here is some sort of bizarre and detailed prophecy about the end of the world. Instead, I think what we have is John's prophetic and poetic imagery of what the church is actually supposed to look like when it grows into its fullness. I want to pick up this, uh, this image in Revelation chapter 2, or excuse me, chapter 22, verse 1. We're just going to read the first few verses of chapter 22, and then I want to share with you a couple of observations that I have from this text. Revelation 22, verse 1 says this, Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, as clear as crystal flowing from the throne of God, and of the Lamb down in the middle of the great street of the city. So this is, of course, one of these uh, revelatory images that John receives in this vision that he has. And here at the end of this long and detailed vision, John sees at the end this river of life that is flowing from the throne of God and the throne of the Lamb. These are images that refer to Christ and Christ's particular representation of God becoming the uh, ruling representation of who God is. In other words, we know who God is because of the person that Christ is. So John is saying that, that the character of God, the very goodness of God, uh, the makeup of God is defined by who the person of Christ is, who is that lamb who gave his life as a ransom for many. So let's Pick it up there in verse 2 and continue. So that river flows down the middle of the great street of the great city. And on each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be any curse. And the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city, and his servants will serve him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. There will be no more night, and they will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun. For the Lord God will give them light, and they will reign forever and ever. Amen. Now, there are a couple of uh, paths that we could take when we pick this passage apart. And one of the things that would be a lot of fun to do would be to 
sort of analyze all of this prophetic and apocalyptic imagery and really dig into past scriptures and try to uncover exactly what these allegories are supposed to refer to. And that would be a really useful and I think a helpful study for us to take. But of course, for my sermon today, we don't have time to do that. So instead, what I want to do is just point out a couple of, of broad observations that I think this image of the church is trying to convey to us. And that's exactly what this is. This is an image of what the church looks like at the end of the age. That is, in this future time, this sort of idealized time, when the church becomes what it's supposed to become. One of the images John gives here is of this tree of life. And what we see then is this river flowing down the street, coming out of this great city, and on either sides of this crystal clear river that flows from the throne of God, the throne of Christ, on either side of this river is a grove of trees. Now, even though the passage here gives us the singular tree, we know it's a grove because it's referring to a particular kind of tree that the passage tells us is on both sides of the river. So the church then is depicted as this amazing grove of large, fruitful trees. And then I love what it says here in the middle of this passage that we read. So pick it up here again in verse 2. It says, down the middle of the great street of the city is where the river flowed, and on each side of the river stood the tree of life. And here's the part that I want you to notice. Bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. So in other words, what's happening here is that these trees that grow on either side of this clear and clean river, these trees don't have a particular season. They grow a different crop of fruit every single month. In other words, all year long, these trees are providing good fruit for people to eat, for people to be nourished on. There's no longer a a growing season and a barren season. Instead, in this future depiction of the church, this, this future image of a church that is healthy and strong is producing good fruit all year round. That's the first image that we see here. The second is uh, that the leaves of the tree, second half of verse two, the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. And so not only does this tree produce fruit, every single month throughout the year, but the leaves of the tree also are for the healing of the nations. In other words, there's something medicinal about the leaves that grow on this tree that help people to become healed. Now, I wanna pause there and just tell you a couple of things that I notice about this. The first is this, that when John uses this image of the tree of life, he's saying at least two things about the church. The first is that the church, when it becomes what it's supposed to be, will be nourished and healthy. And of course, what comes to mind is Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, uh, when he says that you know a good tree because it produces good fruit, and you know a bad tree when it produces bad fruit. What Jesus is talking about there is the character of the people of God. Jesus isn't talking necessarily about individuals and their individual sins. He is instead indicting the people of God in Israel because they have not become what they're supposed to be. And here John is giving us the same image. He's saying that the people of God, their whole purpose, their whole function is number one, to be nourished and healthy. That is to be strong, to grow, to produce good fruit, to produce leaves that are medicinal. And of course, the second observation that flows out of that is that the health of the people of God 
is not just for themselves, but rather it's to nourish others and to provide health for others. In Revelations 22, we have this image of the church that exists as a tree of life in a grove on either side of a river that God is, is pouring out upon that grove so that people can come to it. They can get their fill. They can be nourished. They can have what they need. And they can be healed from whatever is ailing them, from whatever their sicknesses or diseases might be. Now, this is a powerful image of the church, and I think that it speaks to everything that we've been talking about in this series, that we are supposed to be healthy and good and strong, and we're supposed to be healthy and good and strong as a church, not so that we can just take care of ourselves, but so that we can take care of those who are in need. Now, a couple things that I think need to be said in order for us to understand how to grow into this calling as a church, not just the bigger church, but our little church in North San Diego County, our little gathering on the corner of Freeman and Topeka. There are a couple things that I think we need to realize. The first is this, that to be good news in Oceanside, to be good news in North San Diego County, to be good news for people who are tuning in on YouTube and Facebook from all over the country, we first have to be good for others. So, in other words, if we expect anybody to show up for our gatherings, to tune into our teachings, to show up for our services or our events, then whatever it is that we are putting forth as the gospel, whatever it is that we're offering people and calling good news, must actually be good news for those that we are offering it to. It can't be bad news. Now, when I say this, I don't mean that you, as an individual, have to be perfect. When I say that in order for us to be good news, we have to actually be good, I don't mean to say that you have to be free from sin, that you have to be perfect, that you have to be somebody who doesn't make mistakes. And the reason that I can confidently say that that is not what this passage means is because that is not who Jesus was. Jesus didn't come anywhere in the Gospels, the four Gospels that we read, and bring a kind of oppressive, puritanical version of religion. Instead, Jesus came to all of those who were outcast, all of those who were deemed as sinners, all of those who were less than, and he called them to be a part of his movement for healing and restoration. So we know that this isn't a call for you and I to be some sort of self-righteous group of pietistic individuals who judge others for not measuring up. That is not what this is about. Instead, this is about us as a group, us as a church, us as an organization, or better yet, us as an organism being healthy enough to produce what is good and healthy for others. That means that we as a church need to be focused on what it means for us to be genuinely healthy as a church, growing strong, producing fruit, producing leaves, so to speak, that are good for the healing of other people. And the problem with that, of course, is that that is not necessarily how church is seen today by people outside of the walls of the church. Churches today are widely seen and associated with all that is not good for other people in our community. And that is precisely the problem. 
And oftentimes it's true. Sometimes, of course, the perception of the church is simply mistaken. Sometimes people look at us and they watch how we live our lives. They watch our practices and they don't understand them. And so, of course, they judge us and they judge our practices. They judge the things that we do. I'm not talking about that. I'm not talking about people who just don't understand the culture of those who follow Christ. Instead, what I'm talking about are the all too often examples we have where churches are producing genuinely bad fruit, where churches don't exist for the good of their communities, they don't exist for the good of those who reside outside their walls. In fact, they seem to be hell-bent on doing what is wrong for others outside their walls. So too often we see the church in the United States working to deny access, for example, to government services for people who are poor. And when churches and Christians do everything they can to deny help to people who are poor, you have to wonder why that fruit would be considered good to anyone. All too often, churches are actively working to deny rights and services to LGBTQ persons, actively working to make sure that they can't access the goods and services that they need, working to make sure that they can't get marriage equality, working to make sure that they are seen as second-class citizens in the United States. And you have to wonder, if that's what churches are doing, then how is it that we can be seen as organizations that produce good fruit? All too often, churches are working to justify and uphold racist laws and systems and institutions that have been dealing death to black men and women and children in this country for 400 years. And you have to wonder, for those who are black and for those who are brown and those who are marginalized in immigrants, why in the world would they choose to be a part of churches that are producing death for them in our society? And all too often, churches are demonizing those who are outside their walls, judging them because they don't live up to the puritanical and pietistic standards that we prefer to hold up instead of love as our standard for what is good and right and true. If that's who we are, then why would anybody look at us and characterize us as bearers of good news? And all of that, of course, when all too often behind the scenes of those very churches who are working against people's good interests and those very leaders who are working against those good purposes, all too often those churches and those leaders are later revealed to be hypocrites who behind the scenes are lying and cheating and embezzling in their churches. When you put all of this together, it's no wonder that so many people are walking away from who we are and what we are trying to do. And I just have to point out to you a third and final observation from this passage in Revelations chapter 22, because I think this is, of course, the key to us becoming genuinely good news in our community. Turn with me again if you would, back to verse 1 and 2, right at the beginning of this powerful image that John gives us. It says, Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb, down the middle of the great street of the city. So my, my final observation here is, is not just that the church has to be good and healthy, and not just that the church has to produce what is good and healthy, 
But my final observation really is the first image that we see in this passage, and that is that the reason why the tree of life that grows on either side of the river is healthy is because it is being fed, it is being nourished by a water of clear truth and goodness and righteousness that flows directly from God. In other words, if we want to be good, if we want to be of good to our community, then we have to be nourished from the source of goodness. We have to be nourished from God because God is what is good. And I have to just say this, that if when we look at our church and when we look at the church in the United States, if the consistent outcome of our instruction, if the consistent outcome of our teachings, if the consistent outcome of our practices is hypocrisy in our leadership, racism in our doctrines and theology, and the politics of power and cruelty in our voting booths, then God has not been the source of our nourishment. Something else has been nourishing us if that is what we are consistently producing in our midst. Now, I don't mean to say that this is true of all churches. Of course, it's not true of all churches. It may not even be true of most churches. Like you, I know so many good churches right here in this community and all across the country, people who are going to God and doing their best to discern through their study of scripture, through their fellowship together, through their service to the community, they are working to discern the true source of God. And they are putting themselves in a position to be nourished every day so that they can nourish those around them. Unfortunately, it's not those churches and those leaders and those followers of Christ who tend to make the news. Because in a, in a culture where news is profit-driven, it's always bad and destructive news that makes the most noise. And so part of our task, friends, here at the Oceanside Sanctuary is to make sure that those of us who are going to God to be nourished so that we can be nourishing, for those of us who are going to God to be healed so that we can bring healing, Part of our task is to make sure that our community knows that we are here working for the good of our community. But first we have to make it a priority to connect with God in ways that help us to do exactly the things that are being described here in Revelation 22. And that's something that we're gonna visit as we move forward. The holiday seasons are just around us. The Advent season is coming up in just a couple of weeks. And during that time, we're gonna visit passages that remind us of what it looks like for us to be hopeful about how God comes in our lives. And then starting with Christmas, we're gonna to begin to look at passages of scripture that reveal what it looks like when God does come into our lives and brings good news. So hopefully as we do that, we will continue to become people who are able to connect with the truth and the goodness of God so that we can be transformed to be good for others. I want to close again with a word of prayer, uh, but before I do, I just want to ask a couple of questions for you to chew on today as usual. The first question is simply this, what are the practices that you engage with 
that make you feel most nourished by God, make you feel like you are growing most to become a person who is able to love and to be loved. And my second question is, what are those practices in your life that tend to distract you from being connected to God, from being nourished by God, from growing into a place of goodness because of your relationship with Christ? If you are uh, feeling courageous enough, share your answers to those questions in our chat on Facebook and YouTube, and also take a moment just to say hello to each other and encourage each other. We can't wait for us to be gathering again face-to-face, but in the meantime, we pray for your health, we pray for your safety, and we look forward to connecting with you on some of our groups and classes over Zoom during the week. Let's close today with a word of prayer. Would you join me? God, we thank you again for today. And for these passages uh, that we have been drawing upon for this series have uh, begun to spark our imagination about what it might look like for us to be a church that exists not just for its own goodness, not just for its own healing, but exists for the goodness and the healing of those in our community. Would you teach us how to come to your feet? Would you teach us how to... uh, place ourselves, like Paul says, as a living sacrifice so that we can be transformed in our minds, transformed in our hearts to become more like you and to discern what your goodwill is. We pray that you would give us the grace and the courage to do that. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, good morning, everybody. My name is CJ, and I've got some upcoming announcements here for you. Uh, from the Oceanside Sanctuary. First of all, if you're new to our online gatherings here in the past few months, we would love to know you're out there. You can jump on the oceansidesanctuary.org website. Just put backslash contact and that'll put you in touch with our team and our pastoral staff and they would love to answer any questions you have um, about this church. Number two, we have a fantastic and amazing Justice Works team. They are going to be meeting tomorrow night, November 9th at 6.15 p.m. It's going to be a Zoom meeting and they just get together to check in to see how their efforts are impacting this community that affect the poor, um, the marginalized and the oppressed right here in this community and to discuss what that next step might look like to make even a bigger impact. All are welcome. You can find that on the backslash calendar portion of the website and get some more information about being part of that meeting tomorrow night at 6.15 p.m. Monday night. Uh, Number three, I'm really excited about this one. Our brand new spiritual care team is launching. Now this team is going to uh, check in on those that just need a simple hello or a phone call in the midst of some very challenging and difficult times. brand new team can touch base with you just to see how you're doing. And then also our call and response is uh, coming up on November the 19th at 6.30 p.m. This is our monthly scripture study group where there's just some really great positive dialogue within this group about the scripture of that month. Uh, Dialogue and response that uh, are found in sacred literature, liturgy, and other types of music and I think you'll be inspired by this. You'll, you'll enjoy the conversation. Um, 
and you'll certainly enjoy the scriptures that, that are brought forth on a monthly basis. So that's coming up on November 19th at 6.30 p.m. And for more information, you can find that on the calendar portion of the website. And then finally, as always, we wanna, we wanna leave you as, as a reminder that the Oceanside Sanctuary can do what it does through some of these groups that we've just talked about um, through gifts from you. Oceanside Sanctuary is a 501c3 nonprofit and it survives and impacts this community on gifts um, from, from those who just love to partner with the Oceanside Sanctuary. Hope you're all doing well. Continue to stay healthy. Um, have a great week and look forward to seeing you soon.